Uh, Esther chapter 3. And again, just to kind of reaffirm where we've been uh, the past uh, two weeks, we've looked at the first couple of chapters of Esther. And of course, you know, we were introduced to this man by the name of King Ahasuerus, who is uh, a Persian king. Uh, He is basically king of of the the entire known world at this time. Uh, And uh, he replaces his queen, Queen Vashti. And that really sets the stage for us to uh, learn about this woman by the name of Esther. Now, uh, last week uh, we talked about, and we, we tried to keep it, you know, as PG as possible, but, you know, we talked about this, uh, this sort of this beauty uh, contest, this nation, nationwide contest where they were bringing, you know, all the women from the land in for him, the king, to choose his new queen. And that's when we're introduced to Esther, right? Esther and also uh, Mordecai. And uh, again, these are going to be important people uh, as we go further. And of course, we know Esther was chosen queen. And so again, that's really setting the stage for uh, what's about to happen, you know, why this book is important. Let's, uh, let's look at chap- the end of chapter 2, uh, verses 21 to 23, well, one more time, uh, because we didn't really get en- enough time to talk about this. And again, this is important because it's going to, again, help us to understand some things in the future. But at the end of Esther 2, uh, starting in verse 21, it says that in those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate... Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Uh, But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. So... (laughs) A lot, not very much as uh, we're told right there, but uh, this is going to be important later on, right? That uh, Mordecai saves the, the life of the king. And again, uh, you know, we'll see that down the road, uh, why that's important. But um, again, you know, everything that we've studied so far is pointing uh, to uh, this point uh, that we're about to see here um, uh, of you know, why Esther is in that position that she's in, you know. Why are God's hands all over this book that, as we see, uh, again, Esther uh, rising up as, to, as queen? Um, and, uh, and then we're going to be introduced again today. Uh, we've kind of teased him last week uh, of this man by the name of Haman, right? He, he's sort of the villain of this account. And uh, we're going to notice, you know, his, his problems with uh, Mordecai, but, you know, especially the Jewish people. So... Let's just, let's just jump right in, uh, Esther chapter 3. And again, for those uh, who may um, be visiting with us, you know, this, is, this class is uh, uh, you know, open to discussion. So uh, you know, if you have a question or if you want to answer a question, just go ahead and you know, raise your hand or just answer away. And, uh, and it would be nice to get some participation this, uh, this morning as we go through this. Uh, hopefully we'll cover all of chapter 3 this morning. But let's begin here in verse 1. No, they don't. Right, so that's an important point, right? That they do not know uh, that uh, Esther's nationality, her, her background, that she uh, is a Jew. Uh, they do Mordecai, uh, at least what we're going to read here, uh, but they haven't made the connection yet with, uh, uh, with uh, Esther. And that's, again, that's why it's so amazing that she is now queen of uh, the empire. 
right? And so uh, let's, uh, let's begin here, verse 1, chapter 3. Uh, After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamandatha the Agite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. All right, so, so who is this man? This man who's promoted uh, above all the princes in the kingdom. Second command. This is Haman, right? Uh, we're introduced to him as Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agite. And again... Uh, no, he, he's not a Jew. Uh, but we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll touch on that a bit. Why you know his his uh, genealogy is there, or why at least we think it is. But uh, <clears throat> of course, at this point, we we don't know that he's the the villain of this account. But uh, it soon will be revealed that. But you remember last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, when we were introduced to uh, Mordecai, we were. Well, we got his background, didn't we? We were told that he was, uh, what, what famous person in Israel history were we t- told he was a descendant of? And that was back in chapter 2, verse 5, from the tribe of Benjamin. A man by the name of Kish. All right, Kish. And why is Kish an important name? It was the father of King Saul, wasn't it? King Saul, the first king of Israel, right? So uh, we get the emphasis here back in chapter 2 that Mordecai, this man Mordecai, was a descendant of, uh, of Kish, of that family line, right, uh, that, you know, produced King Saul. And... Uh, Although we're about 500 years into the present, you know, uh, of that time period, uh, that, that was important because we learn here in chapter 3 that Haman was an Agite. Now, um, you know, we'd have to do a little bit of, um, uh, you know, research to understand that because it doesn't directly tell us, but uh, an Agite, we believe, was a descendant of King Agag. Uh, an Agite, right? And so, um, you know, he, King Agag, uh, if we recall in 1 Samuel chapter 15, was uh, that king, do you remember when Saul was told to go and to, you know, utterly destroy all the Amalekites in the land? And um, he didn't do that. Do you remember that? And uh, he, kept, he kept King Agag alive. He kept some of uh, the good plunder uh, that they were supposed to destroy. They kept all those things the, that they weren't supposed to do. And King Saul, he's happy about it. He's, uh, you know, boasting around. And then the prophet Samuel comes and says, listen, you have not done what God told you to do. He told you to utterly destroy 
everything. And King Saul said, well, the people. You know, it was the people's fault. Well, because of that incident, you know, Saul's going to lose the kingdom. He's going to be outed as king of Israel. And uh, so there's some bad blood between these families, or between these lines, I should say. Um, A descendant of Agag, a descendant of uh, Kish, a Benjamite tribe uh, in Israel. And so I think that's why, you know, Esther, uh, the author of Esther, is letting us know, you know, these backgrounds here. uh, That Mordecai is of the family line of Kish, that uh, Haman is of the family line of the Agites, King Agag, possibly. And so there's some animosity, right? There's some Hatfield-McCoy uh, going on here. And, uh, and that's possibly why we're going to see Haman's um, his, uh, his disdain for the Jewish people here uh, in a moment. And so, um, again, Jewish readers, you know, if you were a Jew reading this book uh, and you came to Esther chapter 3, verse 1, and you find out that this man's an Agite, again, you know, you're going to immediately identify this as an enemy of the Jews. Uh, you know, someone who's going to be a thorn in the sides of the people. And so, um, so again, I think that we see this contrast that's going on between these two individuals. But Haman, again, we're introduced to Haman, and he's, you know, really he's second in command, right? He's sort of the, the, the prime minister of the Persian kingdom. And uh, he's got a lot of power. Uh, he's going to wield a lot of power. Uh, because of his exalted position, uh, verse 2 uh, what, do, what did the king command that was to happen uh, when people came into the presence of Haman? Yeah. The king commanded that uh, these people were to bow down to Haman. So this wasn't, a, this wasn't an episode of where you know, Haman earned respect, and so people were respectfully bowing down to him. This was because the king, you know, commanded it, right? It's a law. It's an order. Uh, when Haman comes into your presence, you know, you bow down to him. You respect him that way. Um, but uh, Mordecai, this man Mordecai, does he do that? No. He doesn't, does he? Uh, he is not going to bow down. Now, to the Jewish people... Is bowing down a taboo thing? Was it a bad thing to bow down to another person? No, it wasn't, was it? I mean, to, to an idol, of course, uh, to bow down to an idol, that would have been a, a, a big problem. But uh, to bow down to a person of authority, um, there was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing bad about doing that. Uh, but we don't necessarily get all the story here. You know, we're not told specifically uh, other than uh, it says there that uh, because he was a Jew, we're not told specifically why uh, he's not bowing down. And, uh, you know, if, if you uh, read through some of the, uh, you know, the commentaries, the scholars on this, you know, they'll point out that, you know, maybe, um, maybe the Persians saw it as sort of a... Um, bowing down to someone as sort of bowing down uh, to a, you know, a god or something like that. And so maybe Mordecai understood that the Persians would have thought by him bowing down is that he would be you know, addressing him as a deity. Uh, again, we don't know that for sure. 
Uh, or again, maybe it's got to do with that family line thing, right? That uh, no Benjamite's going to bow down to uh, someone of the house of Agag. Uh, and so again, maybe that's the reason. But Mordecai, for whatever reason, he is unwilling to bow down to this man. Uh, did that draw the attention of others? It sure did, didn't it? Uh, a couple months ago, uh, I preached a lesson on Daniel chapter 3. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And you remember that account where uh, you know, they don't bow down? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that you know, when you hear that certain music playing, that everyone in the land was supposed to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down, and everybody saw it. Right? Sort of a similar thing going on here, isn't it? Um, except for in that account in Daniel, they were commanded to bow down to you know, that, that image, that, that idol, that, that statue that was set up. Um, again, we don't know the full context here of why uh, King Ahasuerus commanded that they, they, the people pay homage to Haman, uh, but you kind of get some of the uh, a sense here that Mordecai says, you know, I just can't do it. I can't bow down to this man. And so, um, obviously, uh, verse, according to verse 3, it appears that, you know, these other servants at the gate were um, constantly talking to Mordecai about this. You know, why aren't you doing, why aren't you bowing down? Why are you transgressing the king's law? And uh, this apparently lasted for days. And then um, finally word gets to Haman. Right? They finally go to Haman, say, hey, this man is not bowing down. Uh, he's not following the law that the king has commanded. You know, why? why? Why does he get to um, withhold from doing this? And, uh, and again, we're told there at the very end, again, that he had, uh, he had told them, Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So as Danny pointed out at the beginning of class, you know, Esther hasn't made that announcement yet. She hasn't let it be known that she uh, is, a, is a Jew. But now Mordecai is telling people that he's a Jew. And um, obviously because of their relation, you know, maybe some dots are going to start to be um, you know, connected here. Let's see, let's see how Haman reacts to this. So verse uh, 5 through 7. So when uh, Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. And in the first month there, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, her, that is, the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. So, uh, so how's Haman take this when he finds out? He's furious, he's furious isn't he? He's upset, he, he's mad, he's outraged, and uh, filled with wrath. Uh, he took it personal. Right? The, 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 uh, this wasn't some minor violation, you know, that, hey, this guy didn't bow down to me, so let's, you know, write him a ticket. Uh, the, he is furious about this. Uh, he is seeking... He seek- should be thankful he's still alive. Haman? 
Okay? Uh, he, he is furious about this, isn't he? And he is upset. And um, do you think Haman's got a little bit of a sensitivity issue? Yeah. Full of pride. Yeah, what, what, what tends to happen? Um, you know, just, you know, maybe you have a coworker who gets promoted. Uh, and I'm not saying it happens in every instance, but uh, what... <coughs> What might happen that coworker gets promoted, and maybe now they might be your boss? Um, do they may expect you to maybe talk to them a little bit different? Uh, maybe act a little bit different around them? Okay, you can get prideful, right? Uh, maybe as you're. Sorry? Okay, yeah, there may be some. Yeah, on Mordecai's part, maybe. Uh, maybe there's some a jealousy here. Uh, sorry? Resentment? Resentment? Yeah. Um, you know, we can look at these from both angles, right? Maybe what Mordecai is looking at Haman, or maybe Haman uh, looking at Mordecai. But, um, you know, if, if. Yeah, sir. I think that Haman was more upset that Mordecai was a Jew than the actual valley game. All company came together, but I think because he said he saw the opportunity to take care of the Jews, and I think that stirred him up more maybe than that. That just gave him a reason for the king, you know, that he could say, "Well, he's not doing what you said." Yeah. He's really after the Jews, not just after the king. Yeah. Mordecai. Yeah. Mordecai is the one that gets him upset, but what's his? But as you know, he mentions, you know, what what is Haman's? Uh, answer to the problem. Is it to punish Mordecai? Yeah, it's to punish Mordecai and all the Jews. I mean, look at that verse again, uh, verse 6. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Or uh, literally it says, but he despised in his eyes to lay hands on Mordecai alone. It upset him to think of just punishing Mordecai. Right? He is so mad, so upset um, at Mordecai, you know, that he wants to punish all the Jews, right? all of them. And, uh, and so he's going to seek to destroy uh, all of them throughout the kingdom. And uh, we, we learn there in verse 7 that uh, Haman sort of had an interesting way of uh, going about this. Uh, so, so it says again that in the first month, uh, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, uh, Pur, uh, that is the lot, was cast uh, before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month. Uh, so, so basically, he, uh, he's uh, you know what he's doing is he's uh, casting lot. What's it mean to cast a lot? Sorry? Care about it? Well, to, to cast a lot uh, is just, a, you know, we would kind of think of it as, uh, you know, flipping a coin or drawing straws or, uh, or uh, what else, um, rolling dice or something like that. You know, we're leaving things to chance. 
right? Uh, we see that throughout Scripture, don't we, of, of, those, of them casting lots uh, throughout Scripture? Uh, the one that comes to mind most to me is in uh, Acts chapter 1 when they're looking to replace Judas. Uh, you remember that at the end of Acts chapter 1? And so they, they cast lots to choose between uh, Matthias and the other individual. And now, of course, they weren't leaving that up to chance, right? It wasn't like you and I flipping a coin and saying heads or tails. Uh, God was behind that. Uh, God was behind that process. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, that's, that's the idea uh, of casting lots. And so uh, Haman here, he's casting lots. Uh, now, now, again, he's doing it with an emphasis on that, you know, his, uh, his false gods, his whatever god that he believed in or gods believed in uh, was behind this, uh, was going to help him uh, determine uh, when this uh, annihilation of the Jews is going to take place. And uh, so we're told there that the lot fell on the 12th month. And this is significant because uh, it's going to allow uh, 11 months to, uh, to prepare for this. And, uh, you know, I, I can, you know, I, at least I do, you know, I see God's hand behind this, right? Uh, you know, we, we talk about how, God, how God's providentially working throughout this book. And, you know, I can see God's hands behind this uh, that, you know, that, that there's going to be some time. Uh, in between uh, this decision made by uh, Haman and then the actual execution of, or the attempted execution of this. Um, well, we'll get to this in a moment, but if, uh, if you were given 11 months to live, if you knew, if you knew the day that you were going to die, how would you live out that life? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, when the Jews start to find out that they have, you know, 11 months to live uh, before uh, this, this is gonna, before this command is going to take place. Um, well, let's talk about that here. Let's look at verses uh, 8 through 11. So then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. And they do not observe the king's laws, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamandatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews... And the king said to Haman, the silver is yours and the people also to do with them as you please. So <laughs> it's not surprising that uh, we see this king, again, just uh, giving in to uh, the people around him. We've seen that before, haven't we? Uh, he, he seems to follow his, uh, his, his counsel uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, we saw that in chapter one. We saw that in chapter two. And so how did he get the king to agree to this plan? Did you notice that? How did he get him to agree to this plan? Okay, yeah, that, that's one of the obvious, obvious ones there at the end was he bribed him uh, with that money. Um, what else? How else? Yeah, they, he... Uh, 
kind of got into his head a little bit, didn't he? And said, hey, listen, there's these people in the land. I mean, they're different. They, they don't follow your laws. Uh, they're scattered all over the place uh, in your kingdom. Uh, they don't keep your laws. They have their own laws. They're a threat to the kingdom. And, you know, it's, uh, well, he says right there, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. That's, a, that's another interesting thought, isn't it? That, you know, he calls these people, uh, these Jews, uh, different, you know, different people. Uh, are, are God's people supposed to live differently? Yes. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Haman here is, uh, he's sort of projecting on them some false things, right? That, that they are, he's making it out as if they aren't following the king uh, fully and everything. Uh, you know, he's, he's lying about some things here, uh, trying to get his, his wishes uh, done. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, people are supposed to see Christians in that sort of light, aren't they? Of people who, what, what do we always say? They, they're in the world or of the world, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're in the world, but not of the world, right? That, uh, uh, that they look different, right? They're, uh, I like the King James that says, you know, they're, they're a peculiar people. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. The right different, Yeah, the 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 right kind of different, right? And uh, and so you know, Haman sees that about them. He sees that they're different, uh, but again, he he takes it to a, a big extreme, and you know, he's going to say that these these people they aren't following you. Uh, they're they're a nuisance to have in the kingdom, and uh, you know, maybe well, that, that's our five minute bell. Um, maybe we should. I jump the, to one of those questions uh, in, in the material, but um, when is a Christian justified in disobeying the laws of his government? When it's in conflict with the law of God. Yeah, that's a good answer, isn't it? Are Christians to follow the government that they're under? Yeah. yeah, again, as long as it doesn't conflict with God's law. Um, you know, Romans 13, uh, Paul writes about that extensively, uh, right? That, and it's incredible to think about that he's writing that from, uh, uh, writing that to the Christians at Rome. You know, they're there, uh, again, in Rome, the very, uh, you know, wicked Rome. And, well, you know, of course, Romans 13, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Right? God established government, so government's a good thing. Uh, Christians, all men, are to follow the government. But, uh, but as uh, you know, Danny points out, there is uh, an extent to do so. And uh, the passage I'm thinking about is Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 29. Uh, we must obey God rather than men, right? And so, um, so yes, Christians are to be uh, a different people, a peculiar people, but that doesn't give us the right to, uh, you know, uh, do what we want, right? And so, uh, <clears throat> uh, we are quickly running out of time. I, I do want to finish this chapter. Let's look at the final verses here. Uh, 
verse uh, 12 through 15. So then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and it was written just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, uh, to the governors who were uh, over each province, and to the princes of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the people's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was published to all the peoples so that they should be ready for this day. And the couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued at the citadel in Susa. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. All right. You know, we saw this earlier with this king, or at least in this kingdom. There's a, you know, I've kind of been amazed about the, the amount of paperwork that's in this kingdom. Uh, that these decrees that they're, you know, floating over through those 127 provinces. All right. But here's another decree that's issued. Uh, the Jews are to be, you know, what's it say there? They, in verse 13, they are to be destroyed. They are to be killed. They are to be annihilated. Is any, is any Jew exempt from that decree? No. No, it says both young and old, women and children. Uh, and, and, and again, it's on a specific day. And there's even some, um, I guess, uh, some encouragement to the people living around them to do this because it even says, and to seize their possessions as plunder. Right? So this is, this is a big problem, isn't it? Sorry? It's going to be a block within it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, the, yeah we're going we're to see here in the next couple of chapters, right, that, uh, uh, you know, God's going to be working through um, Esther and through Mordecai and, uh, to get this stopped. But, you know, that's, that's this man Haman's master plan, right? Uh, he's upset at the Jews, and now he's got the king's signet ring. You know, he can put his stamp of approval on it. Uh, you know, he's got his, um, you know, the, the ring, uh, the signet ring, right? It's got sort of his royal um, seal, right? And so he's authorized. He's got the authorization to uh, do this. And so he's going to, remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago about the laws of the Medes and Persians? Can those be revoked? No, when, the, when they're set, they're set in stone. And so... Um, so this is a big problem for Esther and for Mordecai and for all the Jews, right? Everyone who's living in the kingdom. And so we'll close there. I think we're about time to wrap up. Uh, we will get into chapter 4 uh, next week as Esther learns of, the, of this plot. And we'll continue on. But I appreciate everyone being here this morning. And uh, we'll go ahead and close.